Dear Anna, you were there, holding my hair while I was kneeling over the toilet, pushing my toothbrush so far down my throat that a few stray tears were beginning to escape my eyes, in a desperate attempt to tear out the very last pieces of my insides through my parted lips. Hello everyone, welcome to a new episode of Tell Me a Story. My name is Ljubica. And I'm Sarah. And what you've just heard was an excerpt from a speech given by our guest speaker today, Lena Melentievich, about her struggle with anorexia nervosa. And this is exactly what we'll be discussing today, body image issues and eating disorders. And before we go any further, I would like to note that although this topic is most commonly associated with girls, it is as big of an issue among males as females. And if you are a person who has never been insecure because of how they look, Please, don't just leave this podcast. Listen, because this is for you as much as it is for those who face this issue on a daily basis. Before we leave the spotlight to Lena, we would also like to issue a trigger warning because some of the things that we will be discussing today are very heavy and we will be discussing throwing up, uh, body image issues, eating disorders in general, self-harm. So if you have any issues with any of these things or if you find any of these things triggering, please do not listen and we would advise viewer discretion because even though you might not be struggling with it, somewhere around you there might be a person that does. So please, please be mindful of that. Now, Lena, firstly, welcome to Tell Me a Story and thank you so much for being our first guest and for being courageous enough to to speak up about your problems. So can you tell us, for starters, when did your struggle begin? When did When did things start going down? Hi, thank you for inviting me. And I'd just like to say that my struggle with body image issues and specifically an eating disorder has started probably at a very, very young age for such a thing. I was about seven years old when I noticed the first signs of insecurities about my appearance and about my figure. So when I was seven, was the first time I began competitively dancing at a studio here in Belgrade. And even though we were seven and it was a very low competition level, we were very pressured to act and look a certain way by our teachers. And I didn't really notice the effects of the very strict rules and meal plans and diets we had to follow until later in life when it would evolve into an eating disorder. But when I was around eight years old, I remember being told that we were going to have a medical screening, like a checkup, and that we were going to be measured for costumes the next day at our studio. And I remember being so insecure about my eight-year-old body that I would didn't want to go and ha- risk having my measurements be bigger than the rest of the girls. So I went home, I locked myself in the bathroom, and I played very loud music, and th- that was the first time I made myself throw up. And I remember going to bed that night after throwing up a couple of times and waking up in the morning and seeing that my body hasn't changed. I still look the same. And I was so scared to go to the practice and go to the screening that I lied, that I had a fever and I had to stay at home. And I made my mom lie for me and not take me to practice that day. However, things would only get worse from from there because the pressure didn't stop. My But my habits, habits of throwing up and habits of skipping meals only begun. Um... A few years later, the pressure was getting even bigger, and 
the pressure was increasing with my age and with the level that we were competing at. And when I was 11 years old was the first time I was explicitly told that I was too fat to participate in a competition dance and that if I didn't lose weight, they didn't need my presence there. And I was 11 years old, so I didn't really know how this would affect me yet. So I just decided to quit that dance school and move and start training somewhere else because to me it seemed like the teachers were the ones at fault and then later only would it would it transfer to me feeling like I was to blame for not being good enough to participate. So I quit that dance school and um at 11 and soon the same year a few months later I started elementary ballet school which was even more strict and had to follow even stricter rules, diet plans, meal plans, exercise plans. And I remember going to the audition and being told that I was so talented and that I would reach such a, such a great goal and I would do so many great things if only I lost weight. If only I looked a certain way, if only I acted a certain way. And I remember being so happy that I was accepted into this great ballet school and I didn't I remember thinking that it didn't matter what it was going to take I was going to get there I was going to lose all the weight I was going to lose everything if it meant I was going to succeed and I went home that day I was accepted into the school and I began working on my meal plan on my diet plan and it worked it went very slow I was 11 and and I mean and it didn't probably didn't work as fast as I'd wanted to but I was getting compliments all around for every kilo I lost, but it was really never enough for my teachers, and it began not being enough for me. And the two years I spent in that ballet school, I finished three grades of elementary school there, and I remember I was skipping school, I was skipping meals, I was training so hard, I was fainting regularly, and honestly... Just the whole experience was becoming so exhausting. And yet I was always made to feel like I wasn't good enough yet. Even though I was doing everything in my power to be thin enough at 13 years old. Which is when I was once again told that I wouldn't be able to compete and that I wouldn't be taken to a competition that we were supposed to be competing at in Athens if I didn't lose weight and didn't fit in with the rest of the girls because, and I quote, ballet is about aesthetics and I'm ruining the aesthetic by being fat. And I remember that day thinking that this was just some teacher telling me something that I didn't necessarily have to follow and that I was, I was, a, I was, a, I, I was strong enough to not think bad about myself because she said that. And yet I went home and I cried myself to sleep for a week and then refused to go to training. And then that's when I told my mom that I had to quit, that this wasn't going well and that I had to quit ballet. And it was probably one of the hardest decisions I've made up to that point because ballet and dance was always kind of an escape from everyday life. And I loved doing it and I did it for years before I quit. But I just felt it was becoming so exhausting emotionally and physically that I had to stop. When I stopped training, it was the first time I felt like I could be a normal kid and I could relax and eat what I wanted and not train for a couple of months. The lack of exercise and the eating what I wanted resulted in me gaining weight. And for about five months, I hadn't stepped on a scale because I was 
I was uninterested in what the scale might say. And then, out of curiosity, five months after quitting ballet, I just... It was a very innocent action, a very innocent decision at the time. However, it would be the moment that changed the course of the next three years for me. And I stepped on the scale and I saw a number that exceeded all of the things I'd ever thought my weight would be. And as soon as I saw the number, I felt absolutely disgusting. I felt like I was the most worthless creature in the world. And I stepped off the scale and I decided this was it. I was never going to feel this way again. I was going to diet. And once again, I began with a, creating a meal plan, creating a diet plan, creating an exercise plan. I began writing stuff down. And after about two weeks of dieting, I hadn't lost a single gram. And even though that's normal and for a healthy diet, it's going to go slow. I didn't... I did, in my mind, I didn't have time to waste. And I was so set on it going so fast and seeing results immediately that I decided to take things into my own hands. And so my mom, in October of 2016, my mom left for a trip, a one-week trip. And I was supposed to stay with a friend and I knew this was my opportunity to do things the way I wanted it. I wanted them and to do things unhealthily and so I started googling a lot of diets and a lot of exercises and I came across this platform this website which I will not name that was more of a community than a website I guess and it was for girls who who were motivating each other to lose weight but not only lose weight but be unhealthily thin and I was clicking around the website and I clicked on a tab that was called Thinspiration. And I saw these pictures of before and after of girls who were, even in the before pictures, they were too thin to begin with. However, they were even thinner in the after. And there were so many people who posted their own pictures and their own scales and their own numbers on there. And, there, and then I clicked, I clicked around even more and I found diet plans, I found tips and tricks and I found a chat room in the end. In the chat room, people were comparing results, comparing tricks, comparing, helping each other, basically motivating each other to starve themselves. And I began not wanting to participate in the discussions. I was simply looking around the website thinking that I'd never get to a point where I would go that far. And yet... A few days after finding the website, I was already finding myself skipping two out of three meals, eating only when, when it was necessary not to faint. And I remember go, every day I would finish school, walk up the hill back to my house, and I'd come home, I wouldn't eat, I didn't have breakfast, I wouldn't have lunch. And before my mom got home, which was at four, I would run around my living room, which is pretty small, I would run around not caring how how much I had to run. I would run around for hours just hoping desperately that it would help with my weight loss. And I remember weighing myself every day and I began seeing progress really quickly after beginning to skip meals. And that was just fuel for me to keep going. And in about three months of doing so, I lost more weight than and more rapidly than I ever thought was possible. And the results were very, very visible. And I was getting compliments and positive feedback from 
every single person I, I came across. I was getting compliments such as, you were pretty before, but now you look so great. Finally, you're pretty. That I, it only fueled my desire to lose even more weight, which then resulted in me continuing with the bad habits. And eventually, eventually it stopped being about losing weight. It started being about control because I realized that if I couldn't control any other aspect in my life, I could control how much I weighed. I could control how my body looked and I could control what I ate. And so I did. And I took a notebook and I began writing down and counting calories. And I remember not exceeding the limit of 500 calories per day. And I remember by the time I was 14, everything was about food. Every day, every thought I had in the in a day was about food, was about exercise and was about how and was about how I could hide it further. And then I kept going and I still wasn't unhealthy thin. I was much thinner than I was when it started, but people weren't noticing it as an issue. They were just noticing it as a good thing, as a positive. I finally lost weight. And that's when about a about six months, seven months in, I lost my menstrual cycle, which I would not regain till a year later. And um, it was... Um, it was around a year and a half in where when I just really didn't know what I was doing anymore. I was starving myself. I was throwing up on a regular basis. I was hiding food. I would sit at a dinner table with my mom or my dad or my grandparents and I would take a bite of my food, chew it up and then spit it into my sleeve and nobody would notice a thing. I was I was getting less and less careful about the way I hid my food and the way I hid my habits and I was getting more and more daring with the way I did stuff because it was becoming a sort of a sick game for me. I was literally seeing how far I could take things before I was before it was too late. And um that's when people started noticing and people started speaking up. But every comment and every concern people had just fueled my desire even more. And every time uh, a friend would say, you look like a skeleton, or maybe you should eat a burger or something, I'd just feel validation, a weird sort of validation that I was doing something. What I was doing was working. It was noticeable. People were worried. And I kept going and going and going until I started literally having, I couldn't remember certain parts of my day or certain parts of my week. And even now, I... I can't recall certain moments and weeks and I've missed so much of what was happening to me every day because I was so self-involved and so involved in the world of food and starving and calorie counting and exercising that I didn't even know what I was doing. And after a certain point, it began, it began scaring me when I would look at myself in the mirror and see all the scars on my back and along my spine from doing sit-ups and when I'd see my hip bones piercing out of my back and I'd see my rib cage through my back and I would see my hair falling out every time I'd brush my hair there'd be a clump of hair in my hands every time I'd wash my hair I'd lose clumps and clumps of hair and I was beginning to see the not so glorious side of what I thought would be so glorious and I was beginning to lose myself and I remember laying in bed late at night counting my heart rate because I remember somebody saying that 
that was a way to determine whether what you're doing is working in the probably somebody said it in a chat room of sorts on the website I mentioned before and I remember counting my heart rate and it came up at 35 beats per minute and I remember not sleeping that night because I was afraid I wasn't going to wake up because I wasn't physically active the only thing that I was I was only starving myself and I was only doing this and yet my heart rate was so low and I remember being terrified of what was going to come next. I was terrified of swallowing food. I was terrified of getting help. I was terrified of talking to someone because I, I didn't want anybody's pity. And I knew what people, I felt like I knew what people were going to say. I felt like people were going to tell me that I brought this on myself and that I should just eat. And I felt like nobody really understood that it wasn't that simple. And I just didn't really want to open up to anyone and I didn't want anyone to see me as weak because I'd finally gotten control over something and that was myself and I finally felt in power of my own body and of my own thoughts which would then result in me almost being hospitalized avoiding hospitalization by having two parents who were ready to take care of me and help me get better and that was, I, I'm not going to mention how much I weighed, but I will say that my BMI when I was taken to my first doctor's appointment was um, below the official line needed for hospitalization. Well, firstly, I am so sorry that you had to go through all this to get the self-validation that you needed and that you've been pressured from literally all sides but going back to your young age and when all this started, um, were your insecurities mainly rooted in dance schools and teachers or did other children also have influence on how your insecurities and the eating disorder uh, developed? Honestly, I'd say even though most of the pressure was coming from the adults, the children did take part in the probably collective pressure that was put on me and most of the girls there. And the children would, their reactions to people calling you fat were something that really stuck with me sometimes because I've, I felt like they were looking at me through the lens of the teachers and I felt like the comments that the teachers were making were eventually leading to the children thinking of me as less worthy than them. So yes, I'd say that the children did have a great impact on how I valued myself and how I perceived my self-worth for a very long time. And when it comes to the adults, when it comes to the teachers, do you think that they've that their intention was to some extent to hurt you, to to really make you change your mindset forever? Or do you think that it had something to do with their own internal struggle with what they've been taught and raised to believe? So I am lucky to be able to answer this with facts and not just an opinion because after I quit dance school, ballet school the second time, my mom actually emailed my teacher and said why I quit and basically told her off for being very rude and very pressured, pressuring me into losing weight. And the teacher blatantly stated that she believed that that was the best because nobody ever wants to have a fat ballerina on their hands and how she believed that her ways were the best and the most efficient into eventually me succeeding as a ballet dancer. So I think 
partly it was probably how she was she was taught when she was younger, but partly it was her own personal belief that what she was doing was best. So you said that your teacher thought that that was for the best, but do you think now that several years passed from that moment and I I at least in my opinion I think uh, more and more people are becoming aware of Uh, general eating disorders and how young girls have body image issues. Do you think that this kind of mindset will continue in the future? Or do you think that people will become more aware of how some of their actions and words may be hurtful and may influence young girls' lives? I do believe that people are more and more aware of how their actions affect young girls and boys, but I do also believe that the dance world specifically is always going to be a bit behind the rest of society because it's been so rig rigorous and strict for so many years that most of the dance teachers and ballet teachers specifically do still believe in the old type of teaching. However, I do think that the dance world is also evolving and I know that not every dance teacher is like this and I was lucky enough to meet some people who really who were really there to to help me reach my potential in the healthiest way possible. These were just some of the extremes that I came across. However, I do believe that with time people and their mindsets will evolve and they will become more aware of what they're doing and how their actions and words are negatively affecting young girls and they will eventually change. Well, I'm very glad that you managed to find a healthier a healthier part of dance community and um but I would go, like to go back to your own story and to what you mentioned before about going to the doctors for the first time. What was what was the worst moment for you if we can put it that way? What was the moment when you realized I've gone too far. I have to get better. Um, I ha I believe that my rock bottom or the worst point in my journey was the moment when my mom booked an appointment with my soon-to-be doctor and I asked my mom to be the one to tell my dad about the appointment. And we were standing in the street in front of a restaurant when I told my dad, not far away from my house, And I told him that we, that my mom booked an appointment to see a doctor. And he asked why we were going to see a doctor. And I just kept quiet. And, um, and he guessed. He said, was it because you're not eating? And I said, yes. And instead of giving me a hug or something that, or telling me that it was going to be okay, that he was going to help me get through this, that it was going to be, that everything was going to be okay, that I was going to get better, Instead, he turned the whole situation around on him and he said, do you realize how much of a burden this is for me? And I remember that point, that those words being the absolutely most hurtful words anybody has ever said to me at that point. And I felt, the, I felt at my lowest and I remember everything around me going silent I remember not hearing a word my dad said after that. And I just remember turning around and running as fast as I could back home until I eventually got home and went into my room, started crying. And I remember saying to myself, if this is how he wants it, then he's going to get my rock bottom. And I remember losing an additional 
four kilos in that week, finally reaching my rock bottom the day of the doctor's appointment when I was literally too weak to function. And I hadn't spoken to my dad for a week before the appointment. And that was the absolute, absolute rock bottom of my story. However, the turning point differs as... So I have a friend... She's my best friend. She we met in kindergarten and since and we've been friends for 15 years and she's she'd always been there for me through the whole process and she'd known me f- she was with me in both of the ballet studios and everything and I remember her asking me a month around a month before I started my recovery. I remember her asking me what was my plan. And I didn't really realize what she was getting at before she said that before she asked again and she was like what was what is your plan are you going to go off to college starving yourself are you going to be a 35 year old with two kids starving yourself do you think you're going to be able to have children if you don't have your menstrual cycle what's your plan and I was super confused because nobody had really asked me that and I really hadn't thought of what my plan was I really hadn't considered I was honestly just making it through day by day minute by minute taking it slow and yet I took into consideration no part of how this was going to affect my future. And when she asked me that, she made me feel really insecure in my control, in the level of control I thought I had. And I think the control and the power all kind of crumbled down. And I started thinking about the fact that I really had no plan for my future and that I was completely unaware of how this was going to affect every aspect of my life which is why I thought, yeah, maybe I should get better now before it's too late. So in your story, your best friend helped you realize you're actually slowly deteriorating. Um, Do you think, what what do you think was the most helpful thing from your environment um, for your recovery and for your whole journey? Do you think that it's better for people who notice uh, that, once this becomes an issue, to remain silent or to speak up? And if they should speak up, what should they say? How should they react? How can these people help their loved ones who de- who are dealing with an eating disorder or a body image issue? So yeah, besides my best friend, I was lucky enough to have other friends and family members who were there to help me through it. One of the people who I would like to mention by name is you, Sara, because you were one of the people who really helped me get to this point and get to the point where I'm at now. And honestly, I would like to therefore thank you once again for having and playing such a big role in my recovery, because without you, I wouldn't be here right now. Maybe not at all. And I would like to say that I am very thankful for having friends like you who fought for me even when I was too weak to fight for myself. And therefore, besides friends, I think that family members play a crucial role in a person's recovery because for some of my family members, uh, excluding my parents, were usually turning the situation into how it 
influence them and they would say how they were really sorry that I was going through this and then say how now they didn't know how to act around me and they didn't know how to act in situations where I where food was present or they didn't know what to cook for me or how to ask me to eat or whether to let me finish my food before or stand up from the table or anything and it was always about how they didn't know how to act around me and very little of them actually asked how I was and how I felt, and am I doing okay? But parents-wise, my parents really tried really hard, and I would also like to mention that the role of parents is also crucial in this because I remember days when I would wake up in the morning and it would take my mom an hour to feed me anything. Every time she'd put a spoonful of something in my mouth, I would spit it out, spit it out in my hand at her, on the table, anywhere, and I wouldn't swallow food. And she was there feeding me every single morning. And my dad was taking shifts, the evening shifts, and he was making sure I had a snack and that I had dinner. And honestly, I believe that people in your surrounding help a lot in the sense that they're the ones who can essentially help you break out of the darkness of your own mind. Because anorexia and eating disorders are essentially a very lonely thing and you're very you you, people who have an eating disorder tend to isolate themselves in the fear and the secrets and the tricks and everything and then when people notice what you're doing you're kind of the jig is up I guess and then so people noticing what I was doing was making me more aware of what I was doing to myself and I do think that people intervening was essentially what got me to the place I am today. However, there is a line that shouldn't be crossed, and that is people who would like to intervene and tell a friend or a loved one that they're noticing some eating hab- different eating habits or dangerous eating habits should never cross a line of being too direct or too judgmental, per se, because that might only make the person who's suffering just become more secretive and not stop their habits, but just hide them better, I guess. So I think that for everyone who's wondering how to act around a person who has an eating disorder, I guess just be supportive and show, and be be there, but also give them their space sometimes because they're really not themselves in these moments and they do sometimes need time to think and time for themselves, but just be aware of their actions and just... Just be there if they need you, I guess. That's that's the best I can do. And so for you, this struggle slowly came to a solution. You started getting better. But there are still millions of people across the globe going through this right now. We conducted a small study of about 30 participants. And we found that over uh, over 30% of them felt that they needed to change the way they look constantly, that 29% of them said, said that they feel this way very often. And only 6% of them said that they never felt this way. And this is only 30 people. We don't talk about global. We don't even talk about just, just in Serbia, where, where we are, we're living right now. But also, I think it's important to address this, but it's also really important to say something else, because when is the point when a person becomes a number? Because for us right now, and we read the comments these people wrote, and some of them were horrifying. 
a person said that they made themselves puke for four days because someone else told them that they were fat. There was someone who stopped eating in total. And as Sara and I do not have any experience, what would you, Lena, say to them? What would you say to them about not becoming a part of this statistic? What would you say to them about not becoming a number and not becoming what a scale says about them? So what I would like to say to all the people who've personally been affected by negative comments about their physical appearance and their bodies or anything else, I would just like to say that, first of all, the people who made you feel this way about yourself are the ones who should change their mindset and not you. You should never change yourself to fit another person's idea of what you should be or look like. And I know this is so difficult to realize, and it's so difficult in today's world to realize that we don't actually have to fit, we don't have to change ourselves to fit somebody else's standards and somebody else's views. And it's re- and I was the first one who did that for years. So my advice to anyone who, who's, who's ever m- made insecure about their bodies and about their appearance is to just out, the most important thing for someone is to be happy in how they look. We need to realize that how other people see us is essentially less important than how we see ourselves. Because at the end of the day, every time I come home, I'm the one who's standing in front of a mirror looking at myself. And my reflection is looking back at me. And I'm the only one who can decide whether, whether to love myself or not. So honestly, I'd say that loving yourself and being happy with how you look is more important than what anybody else thinks because at the end of the day, you're the person you're going to be spending your whole life with and you're your own person and you need to be your own person. And you and it's I, again, I know it's really hard, but you have to try to not let this messed up society and standards affect your own views of yourself because I, I'm sure that you're absolutely beautiful and perfect just the way you are. And one day, you're going to meet someone who's going to love you for everything you are and every part of you and somebody who's never going to make you feel insecure about yourself. So thank you for this. I think what you said is extremely important that um, people who love us will love us for us and for our personality, for who we are as people, not just the way we look. But in the study that Ljubica talked about, that we conducted, one girl stated that uh, when she was younger, she was told that she had to, and I quote, watch what she eats if she wants boys to like her. Do you think we try to change ourselves and our appearance because um, because of others and how others will see us? And how, what do you think, how big of a role do boys play in this and how girls see themselves? I do believe that society in general teaches young girls that they should act a certain way, look a certain way in order to fit this made-up criteria for boys, in order for boys to like them, in order to be good girlfriends, wives, and mothers, and everything. And I feel like a lot of pressure is put on young girls to be a certain way and to be a certain way for boys. And most young girls are taught to monitor everything they do through the lens of whether a boy will like you or not. However, to that, I have to say that as much as I do think that boys and how boys view view us as girls does play a role in both a confidence, it can act as a confidence boost or as a 
something to shoot down somebody's confidence because I know personally that getting a compliment from a boy was something that would majorly shoot my confidence. However, it was sometimes, and the opposite was actually the opposite, and it would just ruin my whole day if I would get a negative comment. However, as I've said before, I truly believe that every single one of us will one day meet someone who's gonna love you for everything you are and that's gonna be from the way you look from the way you dance to the way you chew and everything else and they're gonna know everything about you and they're still gonna love you for everything and they're never gonna make you feel insecure and you're gonna feel loved and beautiful every day and as much as I've said before that our self-worth should never be dependent on what others think of us it is hard in this world in the world in which everybody feels like your body is something they have the right to comment on. It is hard, but at the end of the day, it is what we all need to learn because learning to love yourself is the beginning of, of just being in love with life because loving yourself is the start to having, to just having, to being happy, basically, I'd say. And do you think that social media affects the way we see ourselves and how much we can love ourselves. We received an answer uh, in our studies saying that social media and high standards it imposes actually help this person stay motivated to work on herself, especially when exercising. While so many other girls said they that they feel pressured um, because of social media and they usually feel bad about themselves because of the high standards that it imposes. Do you think that there will ever be a balance uh, between uh, making us feel good and motivated and making us feel bad about ourselves. Do you think that social media will ever reach um, a balance in these two high ends? So as someone who's incredibly active on social media and almost all platforms, I would say that I'm even though it's 2020 and I'm fully aware that Every post and every video is very staged and made up to look perfect and seem perfect and fit this social standard of having a picture-perfect life, which includes a picture-perfect body, a picture-perfect everything. Um, I do still think that it affects the way I see myself because even though I'm aware of the unrealistic standards social media sets, I still find myself editing every picture I post and I still find myself needing approval of at least two friends before I post a picture and I still find myself needing validation forms of likes and comments and messages to validate my own self-worth and um so yeah I would say that social media does have a big effect on how we perceive ourselves I would agree that social media really impacts the way we see the world and the way we think and I think for some people it's it, it can be positive it can be a force that moves us forward like like one of the responders but I think for the majority of us and for me personally and for what I know from my friends is that it really makes us insecure and it makes us think a thousand times and whether we like something or not and uh, we start to hate ourselves and we start to be displeased with the way we are not only physically but mentally as well because we don't fit the mold that social media sets up even though we are all aware that it's 
it's all fake. And I think it impacts girls more because girls are expected to be the epitome of beauty, the elegance and all that. But I think it also has a big effect on boys because we had one of the male responders who discussed the way that they feel like they're fat and that the only that at the same time someone is complimenting their abs, which kind of creates a contrast of, you know, am I good enough or am I bad enough? And I think that's something that we all feel when it comes to social media. We just feel it to different extent. And I think really it, it, it hurts and changes all of us. I agree completely with you because I think that boys um, really also feel pressured um, to look a certain way and to be masculine enough. Um, and I just think it's not talked about as much or they, they don't express it as much as we girls do and they also do it in a different way because girls are pressured to lose weight and to be skinny so that by itself develops into an eating disorder while guys are pressured to go to gym and work out and build muscles which as a matter of fact definitely influences them maybe negatively but it's just not as obvious as it is with girls And I think that this balance between what is a good motivator and what is um, what essentially stimulates insecurities um, will never be reached uh, on social media. Because at least for me, the greatest motivator would be um, looking at what a girl or a woman accomplished by working out or living a healthy life, but not looking at photoshopped pictures of women who look perfect. And I think this is kind of the conclusion, the main point of, of our discussion today and our conversation with Lena, that we all can make change, that we can all try to live a healthier lifestyle without turning things into an illness, without hurting ourselves. But we should always be on lookout for others and for ourselves equally and see when things start getting bad and try getting help. And I think we would, all three of us, we would like to urge you, if, if you are in a similar position, if you are hurting yourself in any way, not, not even an eating disorder, but specifically you're having an eating disorder, if you're making yourself throw up, please ask for help. It doesn't have to start off with a doctor. It can be a friend, it can be a parent, it can be a teacher. And I know this is something we all hear a lot and that everyone is saying, ask for help, ask for help. And I know that it's hard, but please ask for help because before things get better, they have to get bad. And this is what Lena told me before we started recording. And I think it's really important to say it once again, before things get better, they have to get bad. And so with this, I would like Lena to finish this off and... Tell us, do you think, Lena, that your fight with an eating disorder is done? Or do you think that it will always be a part of you and that you will always have to be on lookout for it? To finish off, I would like to say that although my worst is over and I don't believe that I will ever let myself go back to the point I was in two years ago, I do... The best way to explain my how my brain works now and what my thoughts are like now is like having two voices inside your head. One is the good one, the healthy one that you should listen to that's telling you to eat when you're hungry and eat if you want to eat. And every time I see the food, that voice says, you like this, you should eat it. However, there's always going to be the other voice that's doubting every decision to eat and that's telling me that, are you really going to eat that? Should you eat that? 
However, time and a lot of practice has taught me to not listen to that voice and just shut it out and ignore it, which has helped a lot because now I only listen to the positive voice and do what makes me happy and healthy rather than turn into obsession again. And just to finish off, I would like to say to somebody who's in a similar place as me, as I was two years ago, that, and for somebody who sees that this is their turning point, I would like to say that it's not worth it. It's not worth it laying in your bed at night, thinking whether you're going to wake up in the morning because things are getting that bad. It's not worth it hiding your food. It's not worth it losing everything you lose, all the connections, all the people, all the fun, the places and the happiness that you will lose if you don't get help. You need to get help because every one of us deserves a great future and every one of us deserves a great life. And I think that all of us would like this show to help some of you and be that turning point for you guys because every single person deserves to be happy and you just need to tell someone and just get help. Well, I have to say that I'm beyond words proud of you, proud of how far you've come, proud of how strong you are and how you dealt with everything that life served you. And we have to express how both Lyubica and I are grateful and thankful for your willingness to speak to us today and to share your own story and your own experience. And we truly hope that it helps someone and that this was what someone needed to hear. And thank you also to all of you who have watched this podcast episode. Um, we hope that you also learned something from this today and that this made you feel a bit better about yourself. And for the end, as we promised, we have a quote for you again. This time, an amazing quote by Elena Melantievich. But now, after what feels like an eternity, I'm finally ready to say goodbye to Anna and admit that I was a mess. Maybe I still am. And essentially, in one way or another, we all are. However, every single one of us is a wonderfully unique, perfectly imperfect, eternally beautiful mess. Checkmate. Love, Lena. <laughs>